0: When I was a young minister in the early 1990s, kind of getting started full-time, I was always doing everything I could to take in the latest literature on leadership. Uh, even, Even Christian leadership at the time communicated that real leadership was something that was best experienced or utilized in a projection of power. In other words, if you want to be a leader, you have to project power. And primarily, that power was projected toward those who opposed you. So if you, even as a Christian leader, had someone oppose you, your job to show yourself to be a leader was to just come back at them strong and let them have it. I I liked to call it the Al Capone School of Leadership. Uh, When I was in college, I saw a movie called Uh, The Untouchables, and in it, Robert De Niro, who plays Al Capone, is told that The Untouchables have done something to him to undermine his business, and he reacts strongly. He projects power. He says, I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burned to the ground. That's Christian leadership. That's what we were told. (laughs) And I mostly, mostly, mostly understood that was bad, And that one should not act in those ways or treat others in those ways. But here's what I have found very difficult to keep at bay. I have found it very difficult to keep at bay the impulse to retaliate within. I have found it very difficult to keep myself from feeling I really want to let you have it because you've opposed me some of that opposition was unfair some of it was fair I mean some of it should have been I, I should have been challenged and rather than respond I'm gonna retaliate I should have been repentant but really I just wanted to fight I wanted to prove I was right I wanted to win I still I still want to win. And yet the words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount say ridiculous things, like not to retaliate, to turn the other cheek, to give the cloak, to not sue, to love my enemy. Saying you love God in a group like this on a Sunday morning, piece of cake. Saying that you love God when facing conflict, when facing some kind of opposition is a different thing and yet over and over again we read in scriptures that to demonstrate truly the love of god is to demonstrate your reliance on him in all things and that includes in the midst of conflict so today what we are going to do is we are going to look at one of the most radically obnoxious sections of the book of first peter because everything he's going to tell us is going to grate you the wrong way. How do I know that? Because I wrote the stinking sermon, (laughs) and and it grated me the wrong way, and yet it is the way of life, and it's the way of blessing. Today, we are going to learn that exiles, people whose faith in Jesus Christ has removed them from real belonging in this world and has invited, because of their allegiance to Jesus as king, all those who have allegiance to other things as king has invited their hostility. What we are going to learn today is that exiles imitate the love of Jesus in the midst of their conflict and we are at first going to learn that we imitate Jesus in how we love other exiles. I hope you have found 1 Peter chapter 3 will be in verse 8. Peter's going to talk to us about imitating Christ in the midst of conflict. And first and foremost, it makes perfect sense, we are going to imitate the love of Christ when we are experiencing conflict with other exiles. I mean, the, the place to get in the biggest fights at home, right? I mean, that's where the biggest fights can take place. And that is also certain and true of, of our relationships with one another as followers of Jesus. If we're going to ever have a hope of demonstrating our love for the world in the midst of conflict, we're going to have to start with demonstrating love towards one another. And here's what Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. He says, finally, which I love him saying finally here. He makes it sound like he's about to wrap his sermon up. He's still got like two and a half chapters. So, I mean, you know, never trust a preacher. Finally, all of you, speaking to the church, not speaking outside of the church, speaking to people who follow Jesus. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Manifest all of you in the body of Christ five characteristics. The first one he lists is unity of mind. Some of our English translations will say like mindedness, some of them may say harmonious. Have unity of mind. This is more than just agreement. This is more than just saying you and I agree on the facts of the matter. This is actually a sharing of attitude and action. We have a a sharing with one another of attitude and action and that's an attitude and action that is framed and shaped by Christ himself we share we manifest toward one another the life of Christ in our attitude and in our actions next he says that we should manifest sympathy this is more than pity this is more than just saying "Oh, I hate that for you this is actually deeply feeling and coming alongside people who are going through difficult times he says you need to have with one another church brotherly love you should never forget in the midst of your conflicts that you are family I'm amazed now at how people who are are claiming to be followers of Jesus will go at one another so hard and and chastise and and criticize and even lie about one another so hard and I want to say to them have you forgotten that you will spend eternity at the feet of Jesus with one another why are you doing that do not cross that line you are brothers and sisters in Christ manifest that towards one another then he says a tender heart some of our English translations will say compassion this is more than just shrugging off hardship this is actually coming alongside and trying to help people going through hardship again making their trial your own and then finally a humble mind here's what your rights are as a Christian we talk about rights all the time here's what your rights are your right is to put yourself second and everybody that you ever lock eyes with first that's that's your right it's my right and he's saying that should characterize those of you who claim to be exiles who are followers of Jesus. Now, the easy thing for us to do is to say, okay, he's given me five things. I'm going to go to work on my five things. Check, 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 and and get them all lined up. But he's not really listing something so much as he is describing something. And here's what he's describing. It's very easy. He is describing what the church looks like if every individual life has become a vehicle for the life of Christ. When everyone is committed to Christ's likeness, when everyone is committed to living out Jesus in their life, this is what it should look like. The church should look like a lot of people imitating Christ, becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, the theme of this message is conflict. And so far, no conflict has shown up. That's because verse 9 is kind of a funky verse in uh, this little section. It can either point back to verse 8, and in verse 9, he's really talking about conflict, the whole don't repay evil for evil. We'll get there in a minute. It's either pointing back to verse 8, or it's pointing ahead to verse 9, and how we should engage others outside of the faith in the midst of conflict. But regardless of whether it is pointing back to verse 8 or forward to verse 10, I think we can all agree that, that when we are facing conflict, any of us who are Jesus followers, when we are facing conflict, the primary thing that we should be doing in the midst of that conflict is demonstrating an absolute love for other Jesus followers. There should be a deep, abiding, obvious characteristic, even in the midst of disagreement, of love for other followers of Jesus. And we are terrible, terrible at this. If you don't believe that Christians in the modern world are terrible at this, you're just not paying attention. Christians, in the name of being right, will justify any kind of language towards someone else will even lie, intentionally mischaracterize other people in order to preserve my own rightness. And so we wonder why, why the, the, the footprint of biblical Christianity is shrinking in our, in our culture. It's shrinking because Christians have become more interested in killing one another than they have been advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? That's a, th- that's a question that should occupy our mind a great deal, and it's occupied mine. There's a pastor in Canada who is, is in a different tribe of Christianity than, than mine. I mean, we, we disagree on some uh, fairly significant theological particulars, but he still challenges me, and I listen to him. And one day when we get to heaven, he'll know I'm right and he's wrong, and we'll all be good again. But uh, he said something last summer that challenged me. He said, you know, Jesus, when asked, what's the great commandment? answered and if you've been in church much at all you know that the answer was uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength and then he said and the second is like it in other words this flows from it this is the proof that number one is the great commandment love your neighbor as yourself and this preacher said here's something interesting and this is simplistic um, but it's generally accurately true he said If you'll notice, when you get to the books that aren't about Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and pay attention to the rest of the New Testament, you'll notice that those writers never really talk about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you find them talking over and over and over again about loving your neighbor as yourself. And this is something I found to be true. One of the kind of new habits uh... that i have learned in my personal walk with jesus is rather than read tiny little bits of scripture and reflecting on it i've taken for the last year or so to reading large chunks of it at once and if you do that you begin to see major themes come out and one of the major things that comes out when you're reading entire books of the bible in your devotional reading like first peter today and second peter tomorrow and on and on one of the things that comes out is how often these writers who who uh... are are really compiling most of the New Testament for us, Paul and Peter and John and James and Jude, how, how these men over and over and over again said that the primary fundamental way that we can tell that you're a follower of Jesus is if you're loving others. And so he asked the question, why do the New Testament writers seemingly emphasize a different part of the commandment than Jesus did? Jesus said, start with love of the Lord your God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength than your neighbor as yourself. Why do the New Testament writers always talk about loving your neighbor as yourself? Here's what he said. He said, when you tell religious people to just start with loving God, they often don't get on to the second commandment. It's easy for people who are religious addicts to just start with loving God and stick with loving God. And when they do, they'll love God to the point of showing disdain for other people. In other words, here's how I can prove I love God more than you. I hate that bad guy, and I hate that bad guy, and I hate that bad guy. Why are we so terrible at this? Because we've forgotten both sides of the commandment. If I'm loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And that is especially true of other exiles. Look, you may not agree with everyone in this room about their ideology. There may be aspects of their theology that you don't agree with. There may be some societal issue that you have a disagreement with them about. But that person, that exile's all you've got in this world. They are your citizens. They are your country. And we don't have time to be fighting one another over petty things when the rest of the world is in desperate need of Jesus. Here is what I've learned, especially in the last 18 months or so. It's easier to label another exile than it is to love another exile. It's easy for me to label you with this bad name or that label or that bad character. It's easier for me to do that than to do the hard work of loving. If we are going to be successful in showing and imitating the love of Jesus in our conflicts with the world, we had better do a better job of manifesting the love of Jesus in the conflicts that we will have with one another. And then Peter goes on to say that in conflict, exiles imitate Jesus in their love for their enemies. Where did he hear that crazy idea? Well, from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which you may remember I read from just a little bit ago. Here's what he says. Verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Do not pay evil for evil. That's talking about treatment. Someone has treated you bad from outside of the faith. They have found out that you are a Christian in some way and they've marginalized you or perhaps even persecuted you in some real tangible way. Don't repay that evil treatment For evil treatment he says do not repay reviling for reviling that has to do with words somebody somebody criticizes you or or lies about you or uh, speaks evil words towards you because of your faith in Jesus Christ you are not permitted to speak those evil words back you're just not he says instead here's what you can do if you want to say anything and man you want to say something don't you When you're treated poorly, or someone uh, says something bad about you, about your faith, you want to say something, don't you? So what can you say? You can say, bless you. (laughs) Well, that's ridiculous. Bless you. Bless you. How do we bless people? Ultimately, we bless people by pointing them to Jesus, don't we? The biggest blessing we can give anyone is to point them to Jesus. And so by me not feeling like I need to fight back and I need to hit back when evil treatment and reviling have come my way, what I'm doing in that moment is I am manifesting, I'm giving them an object lesson of Jesus who in the face of his persecutors did not fight back. I bless them. And then the blessing I receive, because he promises a blessing here, bless bless that you may obtain a blessing. The blessing I receive is I get the biggest privilege that I've ever been given in my life, and that is to be Jesus in that moment. There's no bigger privilege than to be Jesus on this earth, to have your life be a vehicle for his life in the face of others. So when faced with evil treatment from the outside and when faced with evil words from the outside, rather than fight back, rather than hit back, we're to bless, and all the objections come up. Won't we just get run over? I mean... If we're not going to stand for truth, who's going to stand for truth? What about my rights? If I don't stand up for my rights, what will happen to my rights? Peter has an answer for us. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, sounds good to me, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He's leaning in, quoting the Psalms to something he's just said. And then he starts to really get to the heart, of the heart of the matter. Let him turn away from evil, do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Peter is saying, when you're faced with that desire to hit back and you're, and you're worried about, about your rights and you're worried about getting run over, understand your call in life. To manifest the love of Jesus is to seek peace to the degree that you can seek it. And you're saying, well, that still doesn't feel very good to me. I mean, that that still feels kind of like I'm going to get run over. And here's where he brings it home. He said, I guess it does feel like you're going to get run over if you don't really trust Jesus. Because he says in verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous... And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You know, the Bible for us, you've heard me say this before, the Bible for us far too many times just is a bunch of pretty words. Hey, I like to memorize that. It makes me feel good. We fail to see that it is true and that is sufficient. Here's what it boils down to. If you trust in the sufficiency of Scripture... You don't have to hit back. Why? Because God, according to verse 12, sees you, he hears you, and he's got you. The reason you don't have to fight back is because of him. He sees you, he hears you, and he's got you. He's got everything you need. Now, the the line that we have to navigate in a free society like ours, where we are given the opportunity to voice concern, is doing that in a way that reflects what we have just read. That's that's the line, because we do have that freedom. And I think what... What Peter is telling us is that when that opportunity does present itself, we must not adopt the tone and the tenor of the world. Far too often, when Christians are involved in some kind of conflict, they sound just like some screaming lunatic on TV or some unhinged Facebook rant. And they don't sound or look anything at all like Jesus. When we have an opportunity in a free society like ours, We need to, adopting the tone and the tenor of Jesus in the freedom that we have, state our case, and then trust God on the back end of it. The the elders and I had an opportunity to do that about a year ago in May when the state of Kansas and Johnson County was trying to figure out how to to reopen our state after the stay-at-home order the elders and I looked very closely and paid very close attention to what are they going to say about churches and in the initial guidance that Johnson County was debating and putting together we felt like there was an unfair um, treatment being being given to to churches now if if the scriptures tell me anything as an exile it's that I shouldn't expect to be treated fairly I mean Jesus wasn't treated fairly I'm his follower. In this world, I might not be treated fairly. But we did identify that there was uh, some, some unfair treatment going on. Namely, movie theaters were going to be able, by the guidance as it was written, movie theaters were going to be able to open before churches were going to be able to open. And we just felt like a similar kind of physical setting that was unfair. And so what did we do when we did it, when we saw that? Well, we called a press conference, and I went out inside. They're coming after us! I didn't do that I didn't do that we reached out to our leaders and we said we so appreciate the difficult situation in which you find yourself we understand that none of us have ever had any kind of training in this before and we're all kind of making it up as we go and we pray for you daily and we know that it's difficult one thing that you may not have noticed is this and that is patently unfair. And so we bring it to your attention in the hopes that it'll be rectified. And that's what we did routinely for about 10 days. It turned out the legislation or the guidance that came out from the state of Kansas gave churches an exemption and we were able to move forward and we were, we were all well and good. What we, what we had to do in that moment was not when we had to state our convictions in a way that honored Christ. Now what would have happened had it not been fixed? Well, at that point in time, you have to make a decision. as every Christian has to make a decision, as every church has to make a decision. First Peter has told us just a few weeks ago, you've got to honor the emperor but you don't honor the emperor at the, at the expense of, of failing to honor Jesus as your king. And if we would have felt like that following that guidance was not going to allow us to honor Jesus as king, obviously we're going to follow Jesus as our king. But my point, my point is that when those moments come afforded to you because of your freedom in this country, Your primary obligation is to be like Jesus in the midst of it. This has been a hard 18 months. I mean, if you want to have a fight with someone, the easiest way to do it is, I I don't know, start a conversation with anybody. I mean, at some point, at some point... (laughs) You can find something that you disagree about, and it's launched the missiles, right? I mean, it's just super, super easy. And, and I have noticed in me, after being in vocational ministry for 35 years and, and leading in the last 18 months... I may not launch the missiles, but inside my finger's on the trigger all the time. I'm fighting. I'm fighting. I'm fighting. I'm fighting all the time, and I recognize that's bad. That's killing me. That's killing me. So what? What am I trying to do with it? Well, as a result of starting to work on this sermon about a month ago, here's. Here's what I've started to do. I would encourage you to do it as well. I would encourage you when you feel that fight mentality kick on. i got to hit back. i got to win. When you feel that coming on, meditate on verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, and the face of the Lord is against all those who do evil. To reflect on the truth. This is pretty words or it's the real deal. To reflect on the truth that God sees me and so I'm okay. God hears me, so I'm okay. God has me. He's got me, so it's okay. And I can trust in him. And when I trust in him, I don't have to win. But I get to be like Jesus. I hope that helps as we process through these really strange words that Peter has given these modern people. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.